Hi, folks. Before I get into today's episode, which we recorded a while back, I wanted to give you an update real quick on a couple of new books that I have out. I will say I'm very excited to bring you guys this uh, conversation that I had with John Matola from the Deep Purple podcast. We really dig into all things Ghostbusters, uh, except not a whole lot into the one reboot that... um, wasn't very popular. But anyway, we'll get to that. Had a great time talking to John, though, as always. Um, Wanted to let you guys know about a couple of new books that I just put out. They're available on Amazon in both print and Kindle. Um, You can go to the website, scotthaskin.com. There is a link to my Amazon page uh, there at the top that just takes you to uh, all nine books that I have on Amazon right now. The first one is called Inspiration Cloud Porn for Creatives and Non-Creatives. And this book is uh, basically a bunch of phrases and colorful cloud pictures that uh, the phrases will kind of inspire you to get projects done, to just kind of, you know, help you through your day. It's one of those, uh, like a coffee table book, kind of like my Vegas books, where you can just open it up to any page and you should find something that'll make you smile or inspire you or help you with uh, whatever you're working on. It is uh, somewhat designed towards creatives uh, in the way of pushing projects forward, but that could really be anything. That could be cleaning your basement, doing the dishes, painting the house, uh, you know, whatever it might be. Um, it is written as hashtag inspiration, hashtag cloud porn, but the uh, O in porn is an asterisk because that would have been an issue um, getting that released through Amazon. So I had to do it that way. Um, and uh, like I said, it's both uh, print and Kindle. It is in color. So the file size and the price are a little bit higher than normal. Um, but I think it's worth it because the color pictures really kind of bring out the clouds. Um, the other book is called Sarcasm Cloud Porn for Everyone. This is kind of the opposite. So if uh, if you were to compare it to my music, the inspiration book would be the mental sauna music and the sarcasm would be more like the Haunted Holidays series. Um, This is pictures of like dark clouds and storms and stuff like that um, with uh, sarcastic things that I've said over the last few months that I thought um, maybe warranted a little bit more focus and attention than just the random Facebook or or conversational uh, posts that I may have made with these. And um, some of these you may have seen, uh, probably not a lot of them or not all of them in any case, but uh, same thing again, hashtag sarcasm, hashtag cloud porn with the O being an asterisk for everyone. And again, both of those can be found on my website, www.scotthaskin.com. And you can click the Amazon page link at the top, or you can go to the books page and you can see uh, a little bit more detailed information about that. So that being said, we are all caught up with my most recent releases. I will also soon have a new deluxe remixed and remastered version of the Forgotten Puppet Show coming. Um, I was listening. I was in the car one day on my way to uh, the strip for a walk and uh, thought, you know, I haven't listened to this in a while. And I put it on and I was just the mix was god awful. I feel so horrible that I didn't notice that originally. Uh, Or maybe it's just that I found new tricks since then. I don't know. But in any case, remixing and remastering the whole thing, I'm almost done. So that will be out soon. This will be um, only on my Bandcamp page, which you can also find uh, on my website, scotthaskin.com. So that all being said, let's bring you the first of this fantastic three-part a uh, conversation I had with John Matola from the Deep Purple podcast, which you should also check out, even if you're not a fan of Deep Purple, which I don't know how you couldn't be. Uh, they dig into the whole family, White Snake, Rainbow, all the offshoots. Uh, it's it's a, a great show. I've been a guest a bunch of times. Uh, my favorite podcast to listen to other than, well, actually more so than the ones I'm on, because I don't listen to the ones I'm on. I record them and that's it. Um, also, we'll be bringing you a couple of other interviews. I've got an interview coming up on Saturday. Jim Meskimen is returning to the show. Very excited to talk to him. I'm actually talking to him in a couple of hours. And then um, the following week, I should have another interview for you if uh, all goes well with that scheduling. So there should be a couple of Saturday episodes as well. Keep an eye on that. Keep an eye on your podcast player. They'll just show up. Have a great day, guys, and enjoy my conversation with John on all things Ghostbusters. Welcome to another episode of the Haskin Cast Podcast. I am your host, Scott Haskin. Back with me is my most reoccurring guest and champion uh, co-host of the show, John El Serpiente Matola. John, how are you doing? Hey, how you doing? <laughs> I had good. to throw in a Cobra Kai reference. <laughs> yeah, even oh, actually, yeah, that's a uh, very '80s centric of you. It it is yeah. Uh, while uh, while I was waiting for you to uh, log into the meeting, I had some uh, some Cobra Kai on. I will admit, 
I, I just can't get enough of that show. I'm so sad that they've announced that this will be the final season. Uh, we knew it was coming. We knew it. I I respect it. I read up on why, and it is basically they want to go out right. You know, they don't want to run the show into the ground or just, you know, keep it because it's popular. They want to do it right. And I really do respect that. But mm-hmm. at the same time, I'm, I just I just don't want it to be over. It's such a good and enjoyable show. The storylines have been amazing. The characters are awesome. The actors, I just don't want it to end. No, I, I feel the same, but I mean... We got we got a lot of good content out of it. And I mean, when it's time, it's time, right? I mean, yeah. And if it's six solid seasons of a good show, I mean, you really can't complain about that these days. Yeah, no, I mean, there are there are some I think that, you know, could be considered better or more memorable than others. But I mean, mm-hmm. all in all, I mean, there's. Uh, I can't pick a bad season. <laughs> yeah. Before we get into our album today, I thought, you know, there's a couple of things that I, I realized. One, uh, a reoccurring theme that they've made very obvious, but I hadn't really picked up on yet, was this missing father figure thing. So you got Miguel's missing his dad. That's kind of an open-ended thing. You've got Johnny with his dad disappearing. You mm-hmm. had Robbie with Johnny being the missing dad. And then you have Daniel, whose dad passed away when he was a kid. So mm. there's like this huge amount of missing fathers that lead you to karate. I think we need to do like a part two on this whole <laughs> Cobra Kai thing. I think we're going to have to, because I think I think they're going to have to tie that that uh, Johnny's dad storyline up, because I think they kind of left that hanging. Um, I don't know. I think there's a lot that they're going to they're going to have to tie up. So it's going to be an interesting season, but yeah, maybe, maybe before it airs, we'll do a, a new, uh, now that we've had time to reflect on it, predictions show. Yeah. Yeah. You got a while They're They're just starting production this month. So I, okay. I don't know if that means writing or filming, but it's going to be a while before it airs. Probably I'm going to guess January would be mm-hmm. what I'm thinking. Yeah. So, so plenty of time for like a recap or a refresher episode from us, which nobody's asking for, but we're going to give it to them anyway. <laughs> nobody's ever asked me for anything. <laughs> I just keep doing it. So yeah. I think I'm pretty good there, but we're not here to talk about Cobra Kai today. We are here to talk about the wonderful movie and soundtrack for Ghostbusters, the 1984 mega hit. But before we do, I'll mention there are two different soundtracks to the album. Uh, The original soundtrack came out in 1984. It features all the music uh, by different bands that was featured in the movie. And then there was another soundtrack that apparently didn't come out until 2006, at least not that I found, which was the actual underscore, like a proper soundtrack release uh, by Elmer Bernstein. Um, I've, I listened through some clips of that and I recognized parts of it and I didn't recognize other parts. So it might've been some music that wasn't used or was just so subtle. I didn't pick up on it. Mm. Um, I'll have to watch the movie again now that I've heard that and see what I can pick up on. But, uh, John, do you remember the first time you saw Ghostbusters? I, I kind of do. Um, I, I don't think that I saw it in the theater. Mm. Um, but I mean, it was uh, it was definitely huge because by the time it came out on video, um, let's see, it was um, what was it eighty four, mm-hmm. and um, it it come to the video store, and I just remember, I, I like being so excited about it, like begging my dad and my mom to like if we could rent it, and mm-hmm. I was probably like eight or nine so and i was like obsessed with this movie because i mean you know the the logo of the the cartoon ghost and everything and um i I had no idea that like all these giants of of uh 80s comedy were the uh the the lead roles or anything like that i just knew that i wanted to see it and it was gonna like there was no other movie like this at the time it was a movie about guys that are going to business to chase ghosts or whatever so Um, There was a, I want to say maybe a Friday night or whatever, where my, my dad had brought it home from the video store on VHS and uh, my, like my brother and I were so excited about seeing it. And um, that was, that was the first time that we saw it. Um, Since then I've seen it. They've had like revivals of it in the theater. So I've made it a point in the past to see it on the big screen, but you know, uh, my, my first time was seeing it at home um and um on video and yeah it was it was definitely um i just remember like loving it i remember like we were like quoting it around the house and uh all that kind of stuff so um since then just always been a huge fan 
it, it is a very quotable movie and, and it's not a stretch to use a lot of the quotes in just random situations here and there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think one one thing that that's notable is this is the first thing apart from Star Wars or Star Trek, and those are series. This is really the first single movie that I recall being so mass merchandise that you couldn't go anywhere without seeing that Ghostbusters logo. Mm-hmm. That's that's what I remember the most about it was the 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 Ghostbusters logo. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, you're right. It must have been because I, I and I remember drawing it to like on my notebook at school with, you know, like just like trying to copy it and draw it at home. So mm-hmm. it was definitely merchandised pretty heavily toward uh, kids as well. For sure. Do you remember if you got to rent it right away or was it just gone from the video store for weeks on end before you could see it? You know what? I I I don't have any memory of that. I um um you know typically my my dad would um would pick up stuff um like on his way home from work um mm-hmm. it, because it was it was on his way back. Like I mean it was he would like not never take us to the video store, but there would be some times where it's just like if we got home from school, he wasn't home from work yet, we wouldn't make another trip out. Like he would mm-hmm. pick it up on his way home and be like, hey, I got this for tonight. So I, I don't have, um, I don't remember like going in and looking for it and the shelves being wiped or anything like that. I think that the, when he got it, he brought it home. I think it's kind of like a, um, I remember like a surprise because we had been asking for it for like so long. So, right. Yeah. I, I did see it in the theater on its uh, original wow. run and it was, it was amazing because Yes, we had Star Wars. Yes, we had some really cool visual effects at the time. Yeah. And even though some of it was kind of cheesy, a lot of it, like Slimer, I remember seeing Slimer in the hotel corridor. And wow, it was just amazing how real it looked mm-hmm. that this physical thing was there. And the ghost in the library at the beginning. Yeah. And I'm just like, wow, this is going to be a great movie. Yeah. You know? Do you remember the um, like the kind of the the feeling or the reaction of the audience in the theater when you were there? Was they were very interactive. Um, There were a lot of cheers throughout. Like the first time they caught a ghost in a trap, like everybody cheered, and um, (laughs) I I was like, I was amazed because I had never experienced that in a theater before. Crowds were always very docile and just would watch the movie. And, but there was like a big applause at the end and it was almost like we saw a live show of it versus a movie. It was really amazing. I, I, that's the first time I remember ever seeing a, and I'd seen Rocky in the theater and I don't remember doing that for Rocky or, or uh, Rocky three. I saw, I'm sorry. I saw Rocky one and two at the drive-in. I saw Rocky three in the theater and Mm -hmm. I don't remember that kind of reaction for Rocky three, which you'd think, you would have for the end, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, this is also a, um, um, as, as I've gotten older too, I'm like, wow, it's kind of like, yeah, it's definitely a comedy and a fun movie, but it's also like kind of dark in places like mm-hmm. unexpectedly. It's, it's kind of like when you watch, um, um, years later when I've watched movies like, like Pee Wee's big adventure, right. It's like, it's uh, I you have this memory of it when you're younger or at least when I grow up because I saw these movies when I was younger of it being like really lighthearted but then you're just kind of like wow there are some parts in this and as we find out from the music too there are some parts uh, like of the of the score and everything that are just really unsettling and you don't mm-hmm. pick up on that when you're younger Sometimes. Yeah, it's it's really weird because it just kind of seeps in all of a sudden and it, it almost takes you over without you realizing it. Yeah. I was also surprised at how how many adult comments there were in this movie. I think yeah. if it if it came out today, I honestly think it would be PG 13, if not NC 17, just yeah. because of of some of the comments that are made. And as a kid, of course, the only one that really got me was this man has no dick. And I remember as a kid, like being in the theater with my mom, I'm just kind of like, oh, don't don't talk to me about that. Like, I don't want to hear you say anything, you know, uh, but thinking about like, you know, how Dana was trying to get Venkman inside of her. And he's like, there sounds like there's three people in there already. <laughs> Stuff like yeah. that. I'm like, I love the lines. But as, as now that I'm a little older and looking back on it, I'm kind of seeing it more through adult eyes going, wow, they actually put that in a PG movie. Yeah, I like your how could you, know, you like kids watch like is this suitable like entertainment for kids like some of these comments like not really 
Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, let's let's talk a little bit about the cast. Be, well, well, before we do that, I, I think one thing we can get out of the way is the lawsuit. So there was a big lawsuit uh, for between Ray Parker Jr. and Huey Lewis. Huey Lewis was originally asked to write a song for Ghostbusters, and he decided not to because he was writing a song for another movie. I don't remember which one. Um, so they got Ray Parker Jr. to do it, and his song, Ghostbusters, sounded very similar to a Huey Lewis song, I Want a New Drug. And so Huey Lewis sued him and won an undisclosed amount of money. And of course, Ray Parker Jr. had to pay it. Then Huey Lewis did the brilliant thing of going on uh, the media and telling people how much he got in the lawsuit, breaking the seal. So Ray Parker Jr. turned around and sued Huey Lewis for breaking <laughs> the, you know, the, the, the agreement. Idiot. So it was just this back and forth thing that went on for years. Um, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I, I see a similarity between the two songs, but I, I don't know. I mean, at some point, it's like, how could you write anything that hasn't been written or isn't similar to something these days? All right. But I mean, they wanted think of it this way, right? As soon as you said that, I'm like, OK, so they wanted Huey Lewis to write a song. And then he's mm -hmm. like, nah, sorry, I'm busy. So they got this other guy and they were probably like, hey, can you write a Huey Lewis type song? <laughs> right. I mean, that's the only like it's too much of a coincidence. Yeah, it just don't use horns. Use a synthesizer instead of the horn section and, and no one will know. Yeah, like just some random dude that's just like, hey, we can get him for cheap. But uh, hey, can you uh, can you write like a Huey Lewis style uh, song like a Weird Al it up or something? Uh, yeah. Hey, hey second be, choice. Write something like the guy we wanted to hire. <laughs> exactly. I mean, because it, because it, it, I think it would be like you would probably have more grounds for it sounding like it's a coincidence if they never asked Huey Lewis. And then all of a sudden he, he just one day he's like, hey, that kind of sounds like one of my songs. But they never mm -hmm. asked him. But the fact that they did and then all of a sudden, like if I were Huey Lewis, I would have been pissed, too. I think that's <laughs> what makes it that that if it, if he actually did it specifically, that's what would make it worse. Because if if I were asked to write music for a movie and I wasn't available to do it, I would certainly check in on that movie and see what was written out of just out of my own curiosity. OK, so my song didn't get in there because I didn't have time, but I'm curious what they ended up using. Mm. Of course, you're going to listen. Yeah. So it would be pretty stupid to go out of your way to steal from the guy that they originally asked. Yeah. You know. And even if even if he didn't, I mean, that that movie was everywhere. So it's like it, I don't think he would have been able. And I'm the, that song was um, I, I don't know if it was a hit, but it was definitely the the, um, you know, the theme of the movie, mm -hmm. um, because I, I remember singing that singing that song, too, when I was a kid. So it's like you probably heard it. And he's like, wait a minute. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Got on the phone with this lawyer, Phil. <laughs> so these sons of bitches mm -hmm. and and they're they were both i think pretty decent hits i think i don't know like where they charted but i think they both did pretty well um but yeah i i totally get why he sued him and i do think there's enough similarity but i'm just thinking like down the line like nowadays it would be so hard to write anything that somebody hasn't already come up with some very similar melody or mm. you know rhythmic line or something i think we're kind of at that point now where we all just have to go you know what unless it's so specifically obvious it's pretty yeah. hard to say you know yeah we're all going to be inspired by things we've heard but it, it, if something came out in the same year or your song comes out and then i start writing my song yeah that's a little bit different yeah, it's a, it sounds a little suspect. I mean, if, if I've learned anything from um, doing really um, in-depth album reviews for the past four years on um, on my show, it's that when when we talk about things, whether it's me and Nate or if we have a guest on, if they say, oh, this kind of sounds like or this was inspired by and, and it, there are so many moments of, huh, I never heard that. Mm -hmm. And then it just yeah. like it it opens up to like your your mind to just like, yeah, how much how much stuff even is original or it's like, oh, that's right. I like this song because it sounds exactly like this other song. And I didn't even realize it because it was slowed down or sped up or the, they flipped the riff backwards or who who even knows. You know what I mean? Right. Well, I think there's there's one thing for a creative artist to be inspired by something and turn it into their own thing versus somebody who just blatantly rips somebody else off and says, yeah, I wrote that riff. Yeah. 
you know, like on, on a recent show, you guys were talking about the band Kingdom Come and mm-hmm. how they were compared to Led Zeppelin. And mm-hmm. of course, oh, it was the, the first half of the White Snake 87 review. Yeah. And uh, I remember when Kingdom Come came out and and I heard about all this, like, oh, they sound like Zeppelin. And I didn't really think that they did. But as I got older, I could I could understand where the comparison was. Where they lost me was Kingdom Come came out and said, we've never heard Led Zeppelin. And I went, what the fuck you didn't? <laughs> That's the same. Come on, Greta Van Fleet pulled the same shit. They're just, oh, we're not trying to be like Led Zeppelin. Oh, stop it with that. Come on now. Yeah. It, you know, it's one thing if that's how you naturally sound, but to just say you've never heard of the one of the most famous rock bands in history and it, you happen to play a, a very similar style of music, I, I'm not buying that. What What really got me with those guys, though, was they opened the U.S. Monsters of Rock tour with uh, mm-hmm. Metallica and, um, you know, Van Halen and all that. And um, I swear to God, John, they weren't playing. Really? I don't even know if they were plugged in, but they were, I swear they were playing the album through yeah. the speakers and wow. just mimicking it like the old show Solid Gold. Because hmm. it sounded exactly like note for note perfection, like the album. Huh. Interesting. Could have yeah. been a lip sync situation. I was, you know, it's been going on for years. It has gone on for, for a long time. But God, you're you're a brand new band. You're you're on a bill with four legends. Like this is your chance. You know, like that yeah. is such a risky thing to do. And it for me at least, it didn't pay off. But I do love their first album. Their their self-titled album is fantastic, mm-hmm. regardless of who they were inspired by. Yeah, led led what? Who who's that one? <laughs> I I never heard of them. Who's that? You mean like that thing in the Indiana Jones movie that's in the air? Uh, so we haven't. We I, I I'm so sorry. I forgot to mention. I was so excited about the Cobra Kai reference that you are, of course, from the Deep Purple podcast. Uh, you guys are about to hit your four year anniversary. Is it? Mm-hmm. That's wild. In, uh, April, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's hard to believe that your show has been on that we've known each other for that long because we met shortly after you guys started. Yeah, I can't believe it's been that long. Yeah, you're the first super fan. Hey, <laughs> take that, Rich. <laughs> or at least the first the first one that I met. I've been I'm pretty sure I met you before, Rich. But there you go. Uh, more talk to you, it. anyways. But <laughs> you yeah. and Rich are the the earliest super fans, I think. Um, it's, but... uh, it's been an amazing run. And I mean, talk about somebody that rips rips people off. I mean, Richie rips himself off so much, but he's very. Mm-hmm. He's very open about it. I, I I like that. You know, when when they did Black Knight, and he's like Roger. So that's Richie, Ricky Nelson's summertime. He's like, I never heard it. <laughs> Led what? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Ricky who? <laughs> and Blackmore's Night. Uh, just this month as we're recording is hitting their twenty fifth anniversary as a band. Wow. It's wow, hard that's crazy to, to think about. Yeah. I was only twenty five when they started. It seems like I was older than that, but. When I think about it, Battle Rages On came out um, just what shortly after I got out of high school, or maybe that no, Slaves and Masters I think was shortly out after I got out of high school. So yeah, mm-hmm. I mean it, it kind of fits together. It's just those time frames, man. They they hurt. Yeah. <laughs> but Ghostbusters, I mean, we're talking all the way back to 1984. Yeah. So I was I was just a you know a wee little guy who knew everything but knew nothing at the same time. And I don't I don't think I appreciated the full cast because there were people I didn't know who they were when mm-hmm. I saw the movie. Like Rick Moranis, I knew him because he was Bob of Bob and Doug McKenzie. And we used to listen to Bob and Doug McKenzie do the Beer Hunter live on the radio. Growing up in Detroit, we had access to some Canadian radio stations and they were over the border uh, doing a like a live game show of the Beer Hunter. So I was very familiar with them. But some of these other people, like I had no idea who Ernie Hudson was, had no idea who Harold Ramis was. Mm. Like that was the first time I had seen him in anything. Uh, but my favorite, William Atherton. This was the first time I had ever seen William Atherton, had no yeah. idea what a great actor this was. Because to me, he was just an asshole in this movie. Oh, what a heel. The best heel. One of the best heels of the in, in 80s cinema history right there absolutely just between this and die hard alone <laughs> like he could have had a great career but then he was in real genius mm-hmm. uh, was another great role for him um and then he was in 
I think he was on an episode of Lost, if I'm not mistaken, one or two episodes of Lost. Um, he's still done a lot of work. But what I found out is people hated him so much for the way he was in uh, Die Hard that people actually attacked him in public over the way his characters acted. And as stupid as that is, I mean, that's just ridiculous. Yeah. In a way, that is such a huge compliment that you're <laughs> such an intense actor. You made it so believable that I hate you as a person. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a horrible way to pay a compliment, but I like well, that's, I mean, that's, that's pretty cool at the same time. I mean, that's that's also go goes to uh um to to people not being able to separate reality from fiction. I mean uh, I think these days people are more, uh, you see, uh, because of social media, you kind of, uh, able to peek behind the curtain more of like everybody's daily lives because, uh, you know, uh, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, whatever you have access to everybody. Like we do like this basically. So you just get to see everybody as people. So I feel like there's a lot less of that. Whereas it's like, you see, uh, these, these people, um, from back in the day and you don't know anything about them except that character that what they portrayed in the movie. And that's, there were some people that just, are, they just don't separate that. I mm -hmm. think that's one good thing about, about um, how things are today is, is that um, we're a lot more, uh, or you can be, I, I don't want to say everybody is, but you can be a lot more down to earth about how you would approach somebody that's a celebrity or famous. Yeah. Um, and and separating like a uh, a character or a persona, be it a musician or an actor or whatever, from uh, you know who they who they portrayed, and like oh they're just a a, a person. Mm -hmm. So yeah, very true. I think where where social media tends to become a double edged sword is that anybody can say whatever is in their crazy head, and mm. no one can stop them from posting it. And I remember um, that girl in the in the Star Wars. Um, what were they? Not not the prequels, but the three that came last, uh, seven, eight, and nine. And there was that that girl who, in the movie, she crashed her ship into her friendship so that he wouldn't sacrifice himself, even mm -hmm. though he could have ended the war right there. She's like, "But I need you." Selfishly crashes into a ship, and she was getting attacked so hard on social media that she closed off all her accounts. She went into kind of a hiding. And I'm thinking, she as a person did not do anything to affect the outcome of an imaginary war yeah <laughs> a writer and a director and an actor did that yeah and i mean i i don't get the the inability of people to not separate or, or the inability to separate fiction and reality when it comes to that kind of stuff i could see making a comment like i hate that your character did that I could right. go to William Atherton and say, your characters really made me hate that people like you really exist in the world. And I would yeah. mean that as a total compliment. But for me to go up and throw a soda can at him or something and say, you're a dick for doing this to Venkman, you know. Like, Venkman's not even real. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's what I don't, I don't understand. And and I think those people consider themselves like super fans of of art. And I'm like, you are not fans of reality <laughs> let alone art no. Mm, no it's a really weird thing yeah a really weird thing but but also i mean it does give us the ability to to interact with people that we would have never had access to oh you sure know, like, i've had a couple of nice exchanges with david coverdale you guys have talked to glenn hughes a couple of times and uh you know stuff like that like that is super cool yeah to be able yeah, to do it, yeah for one, just to cut through all the other people that are trying to get to them and actually have brief as it may be some kind of interaction. Yeah. Well, you, you've got to put in some work too. Sometimes. I mean, it, yeah. it doesn't hurt that we have uh forms uh, for, for our obsessions. <laughs> oh, absolutely. My, my favorite though, was I think when, when uh, David Coverdale responded to one of your, I think it was the, one of the first episodes that you guys did. And, and he, uh, cause you always refer to him as Coverdale and he just wrote Coverdale. <laughs> Like he was, like he was appalled. Yeah, yeah, that that's still one of, of our favorite things to quote. Coverdale. It's well, that is your name, isn't it? Exactly. <laughs> I'm still still waiting for Coverdale tweets too. I know it's going to happen someday. 
I keep holding that breath. I don't know. I've been like trying to talk <laughs> Nate into like some different episodes. I'm like, I'm tired of reviewing albums. Let, let's do something else. Well, <laughs> you've got you've got so much that you can cover. I mean, you guys oh, God, can really yeah. keep doing the show for I would say at least another five or six years, if not longer. The you know, as creative as you guys have been with some of the episodes, like the Deep Purple Game Show and stuff like that. You know, yeah, lots yeah. of fun. Um, before we get into Ghostbusters 1, because I, I have no intention of covering Ghostbusters 2, I'm curious to get your thoughts on that movie. What, 2? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I don't know. There's There are some people that... Um... Uh, because one of my one of my friends is somebody that I um, have worked with before, and um, we don't work together anymore. But one of our shared um, obsessions is the Ghostbusters movie, which we actually went to see the new one when it came out uh, last year, I think it was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, which I which I have to say to jump forward was it wasn't it wasn't um, it was better than the the all um the like the old girl ghostbusters that mm -hmm. came out a few years before that yeah. and no hate to that but i just uh because uh, i think the biggest thing was just like oh it's an all girl cast and they're trying to and it, it wasn't that it just it wasn't it wasn't funny mm -hmm. it wasn't i don't know if you've seen it but i just didn't think regardless of whether they were trying to redo ghostbusters with three women as ghostbusters or not it wasn't the women aspect of it it was the shitty filmmaking aspect of it that i didn't like yeah, I didn't watch it, but again, it had nothing to do with the the gender change aspect. I can right. care less about that. If it's good, it's good. Right. It's that when I watched a couple of different trailers, it was like they wrote down every joke they could think of and just threw it in the movie. And I didn't right. find one thing about any of the trailers enjoyable. Right. And so I just didn't feel it was worth investing in. I may yeah. go back and watch it someday, but the feedback that I've heard from people is pretty on par with what the impression was that I got from the trailer. So I'm like, I don't really feel a need to see it. Yeah, it, it just wasn't that funny. Um, the the new one, the newest one, um, I, like I said, I won't spend too much time on it. I thought it was was um, fantastic. I, I mean, I don't think it was like the best, but I mean, it was one of those where they had the a newer generation type mm -hmm. thing going in. Um, the story was based on, um, I think it was... Um, uh, Egon's family. Um, and you know, he had, you know, they had wrote it in the, he had since passed. Um, and you know, that, that kind of whole thing. And then the original surviving guys did show up at the end and they had a CGI Harold Ramis in there, which I thought was amazing the mm -hmm. way that they did it. Like, I mean, we thought he'd just be in for a second and there was like a whole scene of him in there and it, it almost felt like he was back and it was really, emotional you know for my my friend and i were just like wow like this mm -hmm. was beyond like whatever studio magic they did they nailed it and it was it was great to just have uh, uh bill murray and, and dan Aykroyd back uh just kind of cracking a couple of jokes which were like yeah they were so so uh, but i mean you know they they were back so it was just it was cool and and they didn't yeah. overstay their welcome type of thing um let me so, let me just interject about the cgi because that was the one thing i was really worried about having yeah. seen the horrible job on carrie fisher and grand moff tarkin mm -hmm. uh, that they did in the star wars reboot i was like oh my god please don't make him look plastic whatever you do just don't make him look plastic and perfect yeah. and fake yeah. and all that i thought the cgi for harold ramos was absolutely amazing yes um i agree with you i think not having the cast in the bulk of it although i did like that dan Aykroyd was filtered into it a yeah. little bit more on the phone and stuff um but i thought it was very well done it but it felt it felt like a cross between ghostbusters and stranger things not just because yeah. the kid from stranger things was in it but it was like the way it was shot it was him it was the young girl who's this like genius scientist and yeah. like kids that knew way more than they should know <laughs> yeah it, it kind of felt like it like a combination of those two uh but i did i did really enjoy it i thought it was a very well written movie the weird thing was I met Dan Aykroyd when Harold Ramis was still alive and he was still working on getting Bill Murray to approve the script for Ghostbusters 3. He was doing a signing for uh, Crystal Skull Vodka, which he had mm -hmm. just introduced. And I met him in Arizona at one of the liquor stores. And I said, um, I'm keeping my, my fingers crossed for Ghostbusters 3. And he looked at me and he went, yeah, me too. And he had just sent the, the last script to Bill Murray, which was the one that a couple of weeks later, Bill Murray had shredded and sent him back in a box. 
Oh boy. And uh, I just, I think I, I felt so bad that I even brought it up, you know, mm. but I, I, and I don't know what that script was. I would love to know what they would have done had all of them been able to be in it for the full movie instead of just, well, Harold's gone now. Let's just do cameos kind yeah. of thing. Um, I like that Janine came back. I thought that was cool, you yeah. know, for, for a minute. But yeah, it was, I, I like the storyline. I thought it was very well done, but there's so, so much of me that's curious about what it would have been. Yeah. Had, had it not been too late to do what whatever they were going to do originally. Yeah. So I guess to to backtrack to your original question. So the, the second movie was only like, what, four or five years removed from the first. So mm-hmm. um, I think in a lot of ways, I think about it the way that people think of home alone one and two Hmm. is is like some people are like hot take but i think that two is better in some ways you know and i i actually i don't know how we were discussing a christmas movie in in march but i was um (laughs) i think i said that at at work the other day i'm like you know hot take but i think in some ways i i enjoy two a little bit better sometimes and um i feel that way about about Ghostbusters too, because I feel like um, I had, I read things where most fans and I think even Bill Murray had kind of dismissed it and they're like, eh, it's just a so-so sequel. It wasn't that great or anything, but I mean, I really think it's exceptional. I like the second movie a lot. I think it's like, because I mean, like I said, you're only a few years removed, so they haven't really aged that much. Like they're still in the eighties. Like it, it still has that same vibe and that same feeling with the cast, you know, like not a lot has changed. So it's like kind of a true sequel, you know? Um, it, I think the, the most important thing is that you had a lot, you have the same people and the same vibe in that second movie. And, um, I, I think it carried over really well. And there are some parts of the second movie that I, you know, like more than, uh, than the first, you know, but I, I think overall the first is, is definitely the the best, the most classic. Um, but I'm glad the second one exists, you know, even though you have that weird guy Vigo involved mm-hmm. in everything and it's just kind of like, uh, you know, and the baby and all that kind of stuff. So some of it is like, mm. But, um, you know, you get to kind of explore what, uh, you know, Peter and Dana's relationship had turned into and, uh, you know, where it went and, uh, you know, kind of kind of there was kind of a resolution at the end of that. So it's like I was really I was kind of satisfied with there being like just two and then nothing else. And then, you know, you get to the new millennium and they had to fuck it all up by, you know, (laughs) trying to trying to, you know, uh, attach the name to it. And there, there are so many movies and, and, and shows and stuff and stuff like that, that just like, I feel like, um, and I don't want to be one of those people that's like, oh, you tarnished the legacy. But I mean, it's just yeah. like, I, you know, I, I separate all of the newer movies from the originals. I do that with like, like how many Terminator movies are there now? I don't even like, know. I think five or six. Yeah. yeah like I know one, two and one and two that's it i did see three and i had high hopes for it at least arnold was in it but Mm -hmm. i just remember thinking like why would they why would they build a cyborg that looks like he's aging (laughs) because at that point arnold was like he was like visibly aging i think it was before he um became governor but it's just like you know i don't think there's anything wrong with kind of stopping your fandom at like the the classics and then ignoring everything else if that's what you want to do i mean as long as you're not bashing it like i mean i think i've seen some of the later terminators but it's just like i don't know the cgi and like the kind of complex storylines and like all the kind of stuff that they want to do to make it more interesting and stuff doesn't really appeal to me yeah um, i think it, it especially if you're doing a, a, a you know time travel movie there's so many just potholes and paradoxes for time travel movies. It's really hard to keep those stories going well. Um, I thought by by the time they got to the one where they were doing the CGI Arnold, that was where I was like, okay, you really should just stop because this is not like yeah. the other ones were breakthroughs in in terms of effects and that. And now you're like, we're not even trying anymore. And it, it was a very sad, low budget feel. I did like the third one, but I agree. The yeah, but how else are you going to infiltrate like the AARP crowd if you're Skynet? Like you gotta <laughs> you gotta build some geriatric Terminators, you know? I guess I don't know, but it, it's like, um, but I mean, not to get too far off track, but that's that's kind of my feelings about, um, you know, sequels and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. If they're if they're if they're done too far later, I know that there are 
Um, like I said, that I feel that that sequel was still done in the same uh, time span or range or whatever. That it was still it still retained that vibe. Like I would yeah. I would definitely pair those movies together as like uh, as as sister films. I wouldn't say that the second one was like I wouldn't brush it off or say it's inferior at all. I mean, yeah, I liked it. I I really loved a couple of things about the the main plots for one it was just interesting and different to to say okay there's this spirit that's trapped in a painting that's just been waiting to come out and you know i i thought that was pretty cool and i like the way that it was taking janos over and then you know tried to take dan Aykroyd over uh i thought that was pretty cool i also like just the concept of i need a, a new soul like but he's starting over so imagine you're this you know prince this ruler and now you're a six month old baby. <laughs> yeah. Like I love the idea of him having to be stuck in that baby for a long time and, you know, starting over learning how to speak and coordinate and all that. I also love the idea of that. It wasn't really the ghostbusters that defeated the evil thing as much as it was the unity of people getting together to solve a problem as yeah. unrealistic as that is. Um, I love the concept of it. I didn't care so much for the Statue of Liberty thing. That was kind of really cheesy to me. Well, um, I mean, but, I get it was like they were trying. It was like a, a New York based movie. And, yeah. you know, they were trying to, you know, they were trying to do this kind of like you said, a unity type thing. And they were obviously trying to re remake kind of the Marshmallow Man mm -hmm. feel like let's have another humongous entity like walking new york city except this time instead of destroying everything it's going to be like you know uh, uh benevolent you know right i so. also like that it wasn't gozer again yeah you know because i because they like i love that they brought gozer back for the last one yeah. but i love that they didn't do it for the second one because if if all they do at the end of every movie is fight gozer yeah then it's just would rocky have a fought apollo creed at the end of every rocky movie <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you had to have a new villain. I mean, that's, I mean, at least at the time, I mean, it made sense. Yeah. I mean, that they brought Gozer back, like, you know, 30 some odd years later or, or more is like, um, I mean, that's that's just nostalgia at that point, yeah. I think. But Well, they were just doing tributes to everything they could from the first movie, I think. And, and it made sense to bring Gozer back. Um, but yeah, I did like the second one. There, there were parts I thought were great. And there were parts I thought, eh, I'm just kind of bored. Like, I didn't like as much of the romantic storyline. I, I like that they didn't stay together though, because their, their relationship was like, I don't like you, but I'm going to start dating you and you saved my life. So now I have feelings for you, but there weren't feelings based on who you are. They're yeah. feelings based on surviving an intense event together. And I think of right. like speed, a movie like speed where, where Keanu Reeves even says that, you know, people tend to get close under intense situations but that doesn't mean that that's going to have longevity. Right. You know, eventually you're going to move past that intense moment and you're going to be like, okay, do we really get along? And there's yeah. no way the two of them would have gotten along. Right. You right. Know, two, so, they were too different. Yeah, exactly. So I like that they weren't together. I, I thought it weird that Ray and Egon had separated through in their history between uh, one and two. Or no, no, that was between... Between two and three, they had. I'm sorry, one and two. They were weren't they doing the occult shop together? Uh, <laughs> Raise a cult, yeah. <laughs> Which I would yeah. love to go to that store. I think that would be a fun store to visit. No, I think yeah. No, the three of them were still yeah. They had separated from Peter because he was um him and um 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 who was um Ernie Hudson. Yeah, what was his character's name? Winston. Um, Winston, yeah, him and Winston were doing the kids' parties. Mm -hmm. Um, but he was also running Ray's Occult, and you know, Egon was um still talking to them, but Peter was doing his own thing, which which made sense because mm -hmm. he was kind of the uh the 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 wild card, you know, he was the 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 cowboy of the group. Mm -hmm. So it's like it 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 didn't surprise me that they wrote it in that the three of those guys still bonded, but they were kind of estranged. Everybody was kind of a stranger. He estranged himself from them, which right. is almost how he is like the you know he seems to be in real life is kind of you know that that odd uh, character that kind of keeps his distance from people. 
Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, and always, always trying to find the gimmick to to make the money, you know, and yeah. stay in the limelight, which I really liked. I mean, you get that in the opening of Ghostbusters one, and you get it in in Ghostbusters two with the TV show and the hairless pets and all that. <laughs> uh, I love his character. I love now. I read one of the drafts of the original Ghostbusters scripts. Oh. Very dry, mm-hmm. very dry. I think had it not been for Bill Murray, I don't know how enjoyable the movie would have been. I love the premise, but a lot of the comedy really came from just him. I think so. Um, I mean, this is from, you know, years later. I mean, like, I I didn't know who Harold Ramis was later um, either Mm -hmm. until much later. And then I was like, oh, not only was he like uh, like an actor, you know, in a lot of these, um, you know, movies beforehand, but then he became like a a writer. Well, I mean, he helped write um uh ghostbusters and he was also a director later on i didn't realize how much stuff he had done i just always thought for years he was just oh it's, it's egon right <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? um which i think that for however those guys got together i think it was it definitely bill murray carried the movie mm-hmm. but i think it was his um and i know that he had improved a lot of it too yeah. um from what i've read but i think that it was the three of them together worked so well Mm-hmm. because you had him being like the goofball and improvising and you had Egon who was very like the the straight man very very serious very almost like you know almost like a Spock or something from Star Trek yeah and then you had Ray who was all like kind of like childlike and excited and uh you always looking at everything with this sense of wonder and, and innocence and everything and you you put those three together and it's just like if you got the right actors like and I, I you know like you said if the script was just very dry i think those three guys in that dynamic just brought it to life yeah and originally bill murray's role was written for uh john belushi so he right. wouldn't even have been in the movie at all yeah now, i don't i i don't know that john belushi is an actor that well because i don't really like the kind of movies that he was doing Um, I'm not like an animal house kind of guy. It's just never been appealing. So I don't really know his work as an actor. The stuff I saw him do on SNL um, wouldn't have made me a fan just because it's just not my speed of comedy. Yeah. I mean, um, I I wasn't a huge fan either. I mean, I'm not going to diminish like his his influence or anything, but Mm -hmm. it's just thinking about him being in that role. it, It doesn't it doesn't seem right. Like I can't picture anybody, but Bill Murray being Bankman. Yeah. But in all fairness, that's what we know, you know? So it's, it's hard to say how other things could have worked because we only know what we were given. And that's so embedded into us, but they did do a tribute to him because Slimer, the scene where he's just eating off the cart in the hotel right, right. was a nod to a scene that um, Jim <laughs> or John Belushi had done. So they kind of at least threw it through a little bit his way. Uh, the other uh, change was that Ernie Hudson's character was originally supposed to be uh, Eddie Murphy. Right. That would have been interesting. That would have really changed the dynamic. But he was also in the movie a lot more. He was in from the beginning. Yeah. Whereas uh, those scenes for uh, Winston kept getting chopped out and chopped down and chopped down. That yeah. The original script that Ernie Hudson had read was not at all the script he shot. He was yeah. in it a lot more. Uh, which kind of sucks for, you know, you're mm. like, holy crap, I'm getting to work with these giants in the, you know, in the acting community. And oh, wait, no, I'm not here anymore. Oh, I'm not there anymore. Oh, I don't even come in until halfway through the movie now. Yeah. You know, and then I'm very much a secondary character through the whole thing. Although he did get to say one of the greatest lines, you know, Ray, if somebody asks you if you're a god, you say yes. Yeah. <laughs> There's that one. And that's a big Twinkie. Right. <laughs> those are yeah. those are two of my favorites if somebody asks you if you're a god you say yes <laughs> i i had not heard of ernie hudson um and then i saw him i don't think i had seen anything else he was in or at least nothing i really remembered until i was watching uh an hbo series called oz and he was the warden of the prison on oz yeah. oh my god first of all he is built like that guy is a walking mountain. Really? And he was so aggressive, so angry on this show. He had moments of compassion, but it was just like, instead of being the smiling guy who's concerned about being sucked into hell, he was like this angry, angry prison warden. And it was so weird to see Winston, which was the only role I knew him as, 
mm-hmm. as this character who is there until, you know, the, the almost the very end of the show. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, it was so hard for me to see him as the same actor. That's how good he is. Wow. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't really know or I didn't know anything much about him uh, before or after. As far as I know, I think like Ghostbusters is probably the biggest thing that he's he's done like um i and you know i admit i haven't um you know looked into what his career was like before or you know i i know that he's done a few things since so i mean i don't doubt that he's um um you know a a good actor but um yeah i i i always still like uh, i always still think of him as like the new ghostbuster the fourth <laughs> ghostbuster because yeah. like like you said like most of the film it was just those three guys and then mm-hmm you know, they, they had Winston in and he was just like the new guy. And he even, um, you know, uh, referred to himself as the new guy. Right. So, yeah. It's almost like, all right, we're going to go, uh, try and catch this ghost. Oh, come along afterthought. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. I also, I love the way he got hired because here's the secretary. For some reason, the secretary is doing the interview of, of like for somebody who's being put in a scientific role. And um, and she's asking him, you know, about his beliefs and everything. And they just come in and go, oh, yeah, you're hired because you're here. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like, hey, if there's a steady paycheck, I'll believe anything you say. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm not with you guys, but I'm with you guys because, you know, I'll I'll be whatever you want. You know, I I love that whole process. But I mean, you think about like, OK, so you you've heard of these guys. They've been on TV. They're getting somewhat well known. So you kind of know basically what you're walking into without the details of it. Yeah. Like, what would you be thinking interviewing to be a Ghostbuster? Like, what don't I have to know a lot of stuff to be able to do this? Am I qualified to do this job? Yeah. How do you how do you just circle this ad in a newspaper or classify and go? Yeah, I think I'll see if I can interview for that. Well, because basically whatever you think of these guys is just like, uh, I, I love the fact that they, that everybody in the movie kind of um, kind of rates them or treats them like they're they're like bottom of the barrel uh, scientists mm-hmm. when when clearly you hear. Well, I mean, maybe not as much Vankman because he seems to be like he jokes around a lot, but you hear like Ray and Egon talk. And I mean. They're 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 opening up books and they're talking about all sorts of like scientific type of stuff. So it's like these these guys seem like they're really educated. And even when they like present this to other people, like the whole world of the movie is just like, ah, you guys are like 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 D level scientists. It's just sort of like know it alls or whatever, like or this stuff is like a bunch of bullshit. And it's just like and I'm and I always that always bothered me because I'm like, these guys are obviously smart. It's like they developed this system where they catch paranormal uh, beings and stuff like that. They yeah. they fixed up a whole firehouse. It's like they're industrious on top mm-hmm. of it. It's like, how could you how could you look at this and be like, yeah, these guys are morons. Like, we're not going to take them seriously. But well, and, and even even Bankman had a doctorate. Because he was Dr. Vankman. Yeah. But he did not come off like he he seemed to be like the kind of guy who cheated on tests to get the degree. <laughs> yeah. You yeah, know, and, for sure. and the other two guys were like studying day and night, slamming pots of coffee as fast as they could to study for all the things, you know. Right. Um, but I I I really love that dynamic though. I think if they would have been three really serious scientists, I think it would have been a pretty dull movie. Right. Oh, yeah. That's that's why that goes back to like how the the three of them and their different their different styles of uh, character with the way that they developed them uh, worked so well. Mm-hmm. And then, but then you have Winston come in, and like you said, he doesn't. He obviously doesn't have a degree or know anything, and they're just like, yeah, we need like we need like an entry level guy, like the not sciency. You'll do right. Yeah, <laughs> like just it's- like. To, yeah. to hold this nuclear accelerator on his back. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, he, like... I mean, he could he could have been a waiter at Shoney's restaurant yesterday. And they're like, yeah, you're you're qualified. You know, you're here. <laughs> Shoney's. <laughs> uh, the you know, there is a threes company crossover in Ghostbusters, a, a brief but important one. The the dean of the college was on Three's Company, and he's the one that kicks them out of the uh the uh their lab. Oh, <laughs> that's right. Dean Travers. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that. No, was, yeah, it, was it Dean Travers or was it the guy that owned the restaurant that Felipe oh, was? In, 
or was it Angelino? It was Mr. Angelino, I think. I can't, I can't remember. It was one of those guys. No, wasn't wasn't he the same person? No, uh, wasn't Dean Travers was like this guy that had this really weak voice, Trevor. <laughs> and then Mr. Angelino was like, that's right, that's right. Yes, he had the yep. beard. Angelino was different. Yeah, but he also yeah. with no beard played somebody else in in another point in the series, which we talked about on our episode, how they right. reused actors, but like, you know, put a hairpiece or a beard or something on them or like uh, made them made them different. And uh, but they they had the same cavalcade of actors. But that was yeah, that was one cool thing that I always liked about some of those early 80s movies is like seeing some people that I recognized from sitcoms being like, like, hey, that's Mr. That's Mr. Angelina. Right, yeah. Ghostbusters. I'm kind of surprised you know? Jeffrey Tambor didn't make an appearance in Ghostbusters somewhere. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, he, he would have been a good candidate. Uh, also, um, now the girl that Venkman is trying to woo in the beginning with the flashcards, that was, uh, she was played by Jennifer Runyon, who substituted in one of the uh, Brady Bunch movies for uh, the girl that played Cindy Brady. I don't yes. remember which one it was, but it was she she was in one of those because like all of a sudden Cindy looks really different. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's because the original Cindy said no or had other obligations or whatever. So. Yeah, there was something something that she she couldn't or wouldn't do it at the time. Uh, so I had recognized her. I don't remember if which one I saw first, but I had recognized her as that same actor. The one that I thought they kind of missed an opportunity on, and I don't know if they thought of it or tried, but the guy that played Sigourney Weaver's uh, orchestral mate, the the sniffly guy at the mm-hmm. at the water fountain. Yeah. I think it would have been so cool if they could have gotten the guy from um, Die Hard and the Money Pit, the blonde guy, yeah, who was actually a violinist <laughs> in real life or or a dancer. Yeah. Like he, I think, would have been so much more fun in that brief role. Yeah, instead they just made it some just kind of nondescript. Like you don't even remember him. Yeah, I mean, he was pretentious, right. like like people from the orchestra are supposed to be. Mm. But I, he did okay. But I just like that would have been one fun cameo to have, like that guy, yeah, be in it, you know. But other than that, I mean, total kudos to the casting director because I think they really did an amazing job putting the right group of people together for this. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. I mean, let's uh, let's not forget Rick Moranis too. It was like, yeah. Like the um, uh, probably one of the best, <laughs> one of the like I just remember seeing him like the 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 dorky neighbor and uh, like nobody uh, really. I feel like this whole this whole cast was like of people that nobody took seriously except for Sigourney Weaver. Right, she was the yeah. only one in the universe of the movie that was like normal, quote unquote mm-hmm. normal. Like everybody else was almost like a joke. Right. right. Whenever she was talking to the Ghostbusters, you know, it was like. You're always like, okay, like she's obviously the one that's like in the 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 normal plane of existence, and these guys are like nuts. Or whenever she's trying to avoid Lewis, she's always just like, you could be like, oh, how nice of her. She's taking pity on him by even talking to him, you know? Right. Like, yeah, you know what I mean? She she seems to be the only one grounded in reality until you know, of course, she gets possessed. But right, well, there is that, yeah, and that, uh, and that, and that's probably what makes her possession even more. Um, kind of um unusual you know and i don't know about you but i've always been paranoid of getting locked out of my my place and maybe it's because he did it every time he walked outside (laughs) yeah like if i if i go outside to just run to my car really quick and and get something out of the trunk or whatever like i always carry my key with me because i'm just positive that that door is going to lock behind me and i won't be able to get in and i think it was because of that that i i probably am that way yeah yeah, you know, there are definitely like like parts of some of these classic movies that I've seen so much that things like that like affect you even to this day. Like mm-hmm. it, like I, I know what you mean. Like always like making making sure you're you you you're you look and you're holding your keys tight to make sure you haven't locked yourself out of your apartment because mm-hmm. you've seen Lewis do it a million times in Ghostbusters. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> 